Welcome to After the Last Dance. I am Tate Frazier, and as always, I am joined by the kid, BJ Armstrong, fresh off of SportsCenter with SVP. BJ, how you feeling? You're a superstar. Oh, you, you shut down Michael Jordan one time. We learned that in episode eight. <laughs> well, you know, Tate, I'm, I'm old. You know, it's funny. I, I, I just can't stop laughing. You know, it just makes me laugh. Watching all that stuff, you know, like when you're young, you do these things, you go, I don't know why I was doing those things, but it it is what it is. And now I can't stop laughing. I think it's one of the funniest things I've seen in a long time. (laughs) I just, I can't stop laughing, but it was, it was good. It was, it was good though. It makes me feel as I see you laugh right now and I see you react to this thing. All I can think about (laughs) is Michael Jordan, you know, having Scott Perel at the free throw line and say, make your free throw ho. And you see, you see things like that. And it reminds you of, you know, he talks about how much he loves the game of basketball. And we see him tear up at the end of episode right. seven as he talks about his love for the game of basketball. But in those moments, the camaraderie, the brotherhood, whatever you want to call it, the, the family that surrounds the game of basketball and the little jabs, and the little moments <laughs> that yeah. happen. And you see Michael was the master at all of that. He, he was the master of knowing how to rib people, how to take people um, as far as they could go, whether it be Steve Kerr, where he basically decided, right. you know, that he was going to push him to the limit. You know, Steve Kerr ends up punching right. him in the chest. He ends up punching him in the eye. They make up, and then they become great teammates after the fact. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's kind of what we see in these episodes is that Michael Jordan, um, for better or for worse, you know, he said he was afraid people might think he's an asshole, but it it almost, you know, it's endearing to see Michael Jordan be a human, and and that's what we saw the last two episodes. You know, and, you know, Tate, you know, look, I I just think it's funny because it's just – you know, like, like those were things that you, we just did. And that was part of like our everyday life. I didn't know it was interesting, mm-hmm. but it's really funny to see now. It's really like, I was just laughing. Like, you know, that's what, that's what we did. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what you did. You just talked and feel allowed it to happen. And we were always <laughs> trying to figure out how to disrupt each other. And I don't know if it was active, like, because we loved each other, we did. I don't know why we did that. But Michael was always at the center of it, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I just think it's so funny. I don't know why. So, excuse me. Just ignore me right now. (laughs) But I just think it was the funniest thing. It was like like an inside joke, I think. Because we've all been on both sides, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you you win some, you lose some. But it uh, it was great to see because more than anything... Michael enjoyed really being one of the guys. That's mm-hmm. what he enjoyed more than anything. <laughs> and you saw Michael and he said, you know, when he's thinking about, you know, teamwork, he said it starts with hard work and it ends in champagne. And that's like uh, the, the right. winner mentality that we see. That mindset obviously was, was tested to the limit, as we see early on in the stock, right? We're, we're in 1998 right. and they're talking about, you know, Michael Jordan looks a lot like he did in 1993. And you were there in 1993. You 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 guys win the title. We talked about that on this podcast. You know, you you leave Phoenix. You guys fly back to Chicago that night. Everybody's excited. Everybody's happy. But as we see the summer before, Michael Jordan had a plan, and right. Michael always had a plan. And Michael's plan was, you know, based on his dream team ex- team experience, he's going to prove to the world he's the best the best basketball player. And then he was going to win a championship, you know, to the three-peat, unlike, you know, the guys he wanted to be better than, Isaiah Magic. And then he was going to leave the game of basketball and become a baseball player. And he happened to just tell somebody that. And people, you know, they're like, man, this guy's a madman, I'm sure. 
but he he honestly he lived that truth and you know they they, they touch on the doc we, we we see all the the conspiracies and things about the, the gambling and and we see the the, the quote there and you know it's, it's utter bullshit you know and uh it, you know that that stuff is lived for a long time you know i'm from north carolina i've always right. heard those rumors and to have it addressed so bluntly and so directly and to have the late david stern be so <laughs> blunt and direct <laughs> with with the commentary uh it, it was a good moment but you also you, like we said you know we we see michael right the human side of michael is on full display again here in this in these moments well it is and and it was such a range of emotions and you know i i lived those times and i, mm-hmm. I remember you know from when he retired what happened in that summer all of the things that happened to when he finally made that decision and um it's just so much and i think you know i just you know like i I, it was like you 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 were living at these extremes right you know we had just won a championship Mm -hmm. and then everything that happened that summer so you go from this high to this low to going back to like is michael okay you know just we want to be there to support our friend. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, we got a season to play. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a lot of things going on. It was a lot of moving parts. So, um, but, you know, I, I just, somehow you get through it, right? And uh, you can see the family support that he had. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could see the support with his friends and people he surrounded himself with. And um, we all just wanted to be there to make sure everything was okay. And he was always there for us. Mm-hmm. And that was a time where, you know, all of us who who knew him and loved him for who we, you know, who he, who he was. Not, not, the, not the other part, not the superstar, but knew him. And we all cared for him. So, um, but, you know, he was able to persevere and continue and through it and, and eventually, you know, make a return. One of those people that knew Michael to the fullest and knew Mike before he was Michael or before he was Air Jordan or, you know, before he was a three-time NBA champion was obviously his dad, James Jordan. And, and you know, we see in the documentary the comment that, you know, James Jordan, he knew that Michael had had enough in 1993. And we mentioned Jordan, you know, talking about that, you know, the summer before 1992. And obviously, you know, James Jordan, the unfortunate situation that happens later that summer. But before that, you know, there was in the jubilation and the fact that Jordan had achieved this thing. Did you remember being around those two and did you see them kind of feel completed, you know, in, in that sense? Because it felt like it was almost like their basketball goal had been accomplished to the max. Yeah, I, I did see it. And, you know, I'm, I've always been I want to be respectful here mm-hmm. because, you know, there is our public life and then there's our private life. Yeah. And I was able to see the private side, I was able to see the relationship which was touched on. And um, that was tough for all of us, mm-hmm. right? Because we, we we knew Mr. Jordan, we knew Miss Jordan, and they were just, they were just beautiful people, right? And um, his dad always had something positive to say. And that's, <laughs> he always had something positive to say, mm-hmm. always. He would always give you a kind word, um, he always was, he was there, but he wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and the one thing that I always admired about their relationship was it was a true father son relationship. Michael was a star, but when he was with his dad, he was with his dad. Mm-hmm. 
he was the son and he would be the brother when his brothers would come around or his sister would come around and when his mom would come around everything would straighten up you know it was you saw the respect that he had for his family and um, it was just great to see and they were just so respectful in every way of the word and um, so I, I, I had a chance to see it firsthand and I just remember all the kind words. He would always have a kind word to say. He would always have something positive to say, no matter what. And, um, you know, that, 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 was, that was tough. And mm -hmm. that was very tough. And, um, again, that was just, it's, it's, you know, it's some things you just, you know, it's kind of one of those things like I have a hard time still talking about it to this day because of what happened and, um, and knowing the closeness and um, – and you could see that, you know, it was one of those things where, you know what, you just, you don't, you don't wish that to happen for anyone. And uh, just very unfortunate. But, you know, um, we all tried to, you know, rally around and, and, and get through it as best we could. And you saw in the documentary, Dolores Jordan, in the same vein, you mentioned the positive spirit of James Jordan. She says to Michael, be thankful. And Michael takes that mantra, you know, and what he was instilled by his father and tries to spin it into a positive and instead um, goes back to the Bulls, tells the Bulls and informs them that, you know, to Jerry Reinsdorf and says, I, you know, I want to play baseball. Jerry Reinsdorf reminds him that, you know, it's kind of hard to be a professional baseball player. It just doesn't happen overnight. Michael is a man on a mission. He and his dad both dreamed of him playing Major League Baseball. Michael makes a decision to make a switch. He, you know, talks to Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson, uh, you know, as we know, the sensei himself, he, he, he tries to understand Michael. He understands it's a heavy situation. He respects the decision. Michael is on and off to play baseball. We see him go down to Birmingham. He's playing double-A baseball. Right. And you mentioned at the top of this podcast about one thing that Michael loves. Michael loves to be one of the guys. And there's, if there's anything that we saw yeah, with, yeah. Uh, with uh, Terry Francona, uh, when he introduced himself to Jordan, he said, I'm Terry, I'm Terry and I guess I'm going to be your manager. Uh, he was just going to be one of the guys in Birmingham. So, right. my, so Michael Jordan obviously enjoyed himself uh, down in Birmingham. And I know you were still playing with the Bulls. Uh, you had an all-star season with the Bulls. You guys, as, as they detailed in the documentary, you know, we, we're going to talk about the Scottie Pippen uh, moment and that whole series against the Knicks and yep. all that sort of stuff. But, but first off, Michael playing in Birmingham, were you keeping up with him down there? And, and what was yeah, he doing? Yeah. Was he having a good time? Because it seemed like he was having a good time. Yeah, I, I was keeping up. And that's the one thing that I, I, I made a commitment, a conscious commitment, to make sure that he, as far as his basketball family was concerned, that he he felt that there was still a connection there, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, you know how it is, Tate. Well, you're young, you 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 you're, but when you get older, you know, sometimes life kind of gets in the way, right? You get family and you get out of touch with people mm -hmm. that you had friendships or you developed relationships with. And I made a conscious effort to make sure that, you know what, hey. Do your thing. I don't need to know what's going on, but just know that, hey, we're thinking about you here. If you're ever around, hey, stop by, say hello, and check up. So we kept that, maintained that relationship throughout this entire process. And that was the one thing that I wanted him to know, you know, as, you know, you know our teammate, as our friend, is that whatever he had going on, he wasn't alone, that he had a family and a support up here and um and i wanted to keep those that relationship open for him 
And just to know, like, you know, look, if you're in town, like, come on, man. Like, this is what we do, right? <laughs> this is what we do. We go, we grab a bite. And while everyone else is trying to get autographed, no, I'm, I'm, we're going to talk a little of this. We're going to do a little of that. Talk about old times. Yeah. And we're going to have some laughs. And then we go on with our life. So I wanted to make sure that that stayed in place. Um, never with the intention of him ever coming back. But just, look, you know, transition and change is always hard. So mm-hmm. he was making a change. And. And um, I just wanted him to know that. And that was that was the extent of, you know, what was going on. Yeah, and the major change he was making, obviously, was to his body. He was becoming a baseball player. He was changing the way he trains. And, you know, you know, obviously, there were some people that were very hesitant to let him do that. There were some people that, right. again, that were trying to remind him that Michael, you know, being a major <laughs> league baseball player is not something that happens overnight. But he was determined to make this happen. But then again, uh, like you said, you, were, you keep that relationship open. Michael's still playing baseball. He drives in 50 runs. Uh, he has the SI story, though, that says that, you know, he's embarrassing the game of baseball. You and I both know that Michael, uh, he, he takes the, the spirit of every sport game, you know, to the max. So for to say that he's embarrassing a game is a, is a full-on affront on his character almost. And, and so he does not take that well. Um, he continues to play baseball, obviously. But he also has this itch, right, as, you know, basketball continues to go on. We see this interview when the Bulls, you guys lose uh, mm-hmm. that game too. When the Scotty game happens, they ask Michael about it. Michael's got the UNC shorts behind him, which is kind of a, you know, tip of the cap to, hey, this guy <laughs> might still be playing basketball somewhere. Like, I don't know what's going on there, but he might still be playing basketball. But we see that moment. Um, and then, like you said, the, the relationship stays open. And one morning, you reach out to Michael. You say, let's go to Baker Square in Chicago. Let's just have a normal day let's just be you know bj and mj going to get breakfast and he doesn't have anything to do because there's a lockout he doesn't want to play in these these games that they're playing these exhibition games so you say hey come you know see what's going on with the bulls and and like you told me one time he had a full-on suit right when you guys go to breakfast yeah he he was fully dressed he he did have yeah i think he might have had a jacket on but it was you know he had a tie but he was Mm -hmm. going to some meeting or something he was going to and he was there in you know in, in the winter or getting ready to do something but he definitely had clothes on, hard shoes on, yeah. and clearly, you know, it escalated enough to where I, I felt I had an advantage, right? <laughs> I should have known then. I couldn't beat the guy in street clothes, right? That should have been my, that should have been my cue, you know? Um, but you know what? We were just there. He, he had his clothes on. He was all ready to go to his meeting, and we were just... You know, we're just going to grab a bite. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're just going to check in. And I was just yeah. happy that he called that, hey, we were going to do our routine. That's what we did, right? That was our routine. Like, you know, hey, let's <laughs> grab a bite, sit here, talk about whatever, mm-hmm. or, you know. This is before cell phones and all that <laughs> stuff. So, you know, you had to talk to people. And um, so we're going to talk. And before I knew it, <laughs> we were playing a one-on-one, <laughs> right? That's it. And... Uh, <laughs> I think I told you this before. The thing I remember most is how his shoes messed up the floor. I mean, his shoes like just messed up because you got salt and he had hard shoes and we were playing. I mean, when I tell you that floor was scratched up, we messed that floor. Well, he messed the floor up. So, uh, but you know what? It was, it was, it was really funny. And you could, you could see, I mean, he had a sense of humor about it. and, And I just thought it was so funny. Like, you know, like, like, did I think he was going to do it? I really didn't. That's the thing. I didn't think he was going to go there, but he went there. <laughs> so, so we had to do it. Like, it was like, okay, what are you going to do? All right. We, so we did it. And, uh, that's my guy. It, it's so him though. And I, I, I love him for it. And, um, it, it was, 
it was like one of those fun things. I just, I, I always shake my head and go, you wouldn't believe this story. <laughs> and, and here he is, you know, recounting it now for millions of people to see. And we see David Falk, right? He talks about the press release that they were going to put out. And he says that he wrote up, you know, many different versions of it. He kept giving it to MJ and MJ's telling him, you know, basically, no, this is not good enough. And then he writes down on a piece of paper, I'm back. And then, right, that game, that day, you guys play one-on-one. You get him to the Bulls facility. He's wearing a suit. He's tearing up the court. You guys were tied, right? Game point. Then Jordan hits a what would become the new patented fadeaway of the new MJ and a monster is born. <laughs> well, for my ego, I want to say it was tied. I don't think it was tied. <laughs> but we'll go with that, Tate. We'll go with that as the, as the story lives, you know? Um, <laughs> tie ball game, Jordan it fadeaway. Was, it was tied. You know, it was 10-10, you know? <laughs> uh, but, what I, but I do remember that what I, what I do remember. I, I do remember this um, as you were, you know, as I was, because I kind of forgot about all of this stuff is, um, you know, he was very nervous mm-hmm. about coming back into the fold. And, you know, he has this like personalities. And what I what I remember him wanting to do was to not take away from the team. He didn't want to come in and be like and like, hey, and make this elaborate thing. And I remember it was just a fax, right? You know, this is before email. This is before, you know, you know, all the way we communicate now. He just had a fax that said, I'm back. That was it. It was just like, it was so him. Like, hey, I just want to be part of the team. Yep. I'm just going to come back and be one of the guys. I'm just going to try to fit, fit in as best I can. I'm not here to take, he didn't want to step on anybody's toes. You know, it was like one of those things where, you know, we had to encourage him to like take the throne hey, back. Yeah, come yeah, back. Like, yeah, yeah. It, but he like he had this. He he has such a respect for the game. Yeah. Right. And Scotty was, you know, like, you know, Scotty was like one of the top. Let's just say, conservatively speaking, he was one of the top ten players. Now, I mean, he yeah. was consistently right there. And Michael didn't want. He wanted to just fit in. As crazy as that sounds. So um, I remember he just had a fax and it just said, I'm back. And it was so him. It, 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 it was classic. That's what he would have said. He just wanted to get himself in, work himself in the best shape he could possibly get in and see what we could do. And and he set out to do that. And, uh, you know, we didn't win the championship that year. But the fact that we were able to do what we did was just it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he did come back and uh, it was a, it was a great run and it was great to see him back. Yeah. Quick break to get a word from our sponsor DraftKings. The last dance has reminded us just how much we love the game of basketball and before you know it the lottery and the draft will be here. Even though there hasn't been much action on the hardwood, DraftKings Sportsbook keeps the action coming regardless. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is now offering a special one-time sign-up bonus up to $1,000. During this time of limited sports, DraftKings Sportsbook is rolling out a number of future bets. So far, they offer bets on who the first pick of the draft will be 
and who the 2019-2020 finals winner will be. The first picked, obviously, is, you know, between Anthony Edwards. You know, Obi Toppin is a name that's been thrown out, so that's always interesting. If sports betting isn't your thing, don't worry. DraftKings has you covered. They are hosting a number of free-to-play contests every day. Yes, including today with thousands of dollars in prizes up for grabs. American-made DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe and secure betting app. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code LASTDANCE when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right, DraftKings has a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Don't forget, enter code LASTDANCE and get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000 only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Back to after the last dance. My mentality was to go out and win at any cost, and obviously he comes back, and you guys take on Horace Grant, uh, who had just left and gone to the Magic. He's with Shaq and Penny. Right. You know, we, we've seen the thirty for thirty on that team. We know how you know right. great Nick Anderson was, and, and they you know they show the strip. Nick Anderson, you know, he takes the ball away from forty five MJ, and then he says forty five MJ. It's not the same as twenty three MJ. The Magic beat you guys that year. And then we get to the interesting part. It leads to a summer that's an insane summer, and it leads to right. you and Michael Jordan. You guys go to Los Angeles because <laughs> Warner. Hey, you you are really excited about this <laughs> because uh, BJ. I grew up. Uh, you know, I was born in the '90s. I was raised in the '90s in North Carolina, and I I legitimately thought Space Jam was a real story. You know, I was that young. You know, we my mom my water bottle had MJ secret stuff. My mom would write that on it before games, and that was like that was I thought that was reality so the fact that you guys went out in 1995 and you actually did <laughs> sort of what happened you guys jumped through the rabbit hole and you guys went to Warner Brothers and then you had the best players in the world come play basketball with you all summer right um right. and and then you guys proceeded to take all their skills and write them down and Michael Jordan got ready for the next season <laughs> and that that's just an amazing story and it came out in the documentary and I never heard that before so uh you know what what was that plan like and or was it even a plan? Did it just kind of come together? Because it obviously uh, is a great story. Well, um, well, it's, it's interesting <laughs> now because I, I, I remember, you know, it was like it was a, like a race against time, yep. right? Because he he didn't have enough time to get his body ready to play. So that was like that was at the center of everything that he did, and. Um, because again, he had a baseball he was, body. He'd, he'd been yeah, working. He, yeah. He, yeah, he had been working out. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, like you can't cheat the conditioning. Like yeah. you know, that's the funny thing about you know being an ex-player. I hear all these people talking about I'm grinding, I'm working hard, and I'm like, no, you're not. Like, <laughs> like no, running on the treadmill is not playing in a game. <laughs> you know, not. Yeah. I don't care how many heels you run or running in the sand. It nothing, nothing <laughs> trumps playing in the game. Mm -hmm. So what he set out to do, and, 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 you know, I just happened to be tagging along and with throwing a suggestion here and there was use the summer to do this now and, and recreate the games in the summer. Don't recreate, like, just go to practice. Like, try to recreate the games because the players are different, you know, mm -hmm. the, 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 the game is different. 
But more importantly, you need to you, you you've been watching the game, but you haven't been playing the game. Mm-hmm. So you need to find out who the best players are. You need to find out who thinks they are the best player. And more importantly, you need to experiment in the summer so that you'll know with absolute certainty when you get to the game. Mm-hmm. Now, did I again, did I think he had the energy to do this? There was no way that any no one could work from seven to eight at night or whatever it was, then work and train for two hours or and then playing games and then repre- and then do this and you know and duplicate it again and again and again. Yeah. Well, he did do it. Okay, and not only did he do it, he was he was when I tell you detailed to it. Yeah. So then when we would play. There was a scouting report, and we were just detailed about, okay, this is what Patrick Ewing does. Mm-hmm. This is what Chris Mullen does. This is what Reggie does. This was, was you know, as I was looking, uh, one of my good friends, Pooh Richardson, Pooh Pooh Kachu, you know, Pooh Richardson was out there. And all of the players, and it became a place to play because the games were played at such a high level. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's, you know, there's summer league where guys are just playing, and then Michael was there to play. He wasn't messing around. He was he was there with a purpose. So um, that level of discipline, I was just amazed at. I was shocked. Like I, I'd never seen someone have that level of dedication to anything, mm-hmm. to anything, right? Okay, or right, he could do it once. All right, he did it twice, every single day. And the detail and the focus and the concentration. And it wasn't like you had to get someone, get him fired up to do it. He was like, who's coming today? And then he wanted to know everything about it. And then he was experimenting and then he was trying things. And then he, you know, he was playing these like little head games and see who was going to take the shot at the, so everything he needed to know. So when the season started, he was ready. And he, it, it was like, it was one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Like, look, I know he won the championship, but that was one of the greatest summers workouts or whatever you want to call it I've ever seen. And um, I can't believe they put it in there because I don't think anybody else knew what was going on. But certainly I knew what was going on and and it was great for him. And I think it gave him such an it gave him such an advantage when the season started that year in 90, 96, right? Yeah, 96. 95, 96. Was it 95, 96? 95, 96, 96, yep. yeah. Yeah, the 72 win season. And, of course, uh, Reggie Miller called him a vampire uh, during those days. You said you've never seen anything like it. Um, the, the big question, though, I have to ask, BJ, if obviously you and Michael were working those games together, you're on the Warner Brothers lot, you, the Space Jam is filming during the day, how are you not in Space Jam? How are you not? How are you not during? The, how are you not in the filming of Space Jam? And if it was to let Muggsy Bogues in, I'll let I'll let that slide because Muggsy's the best. Well, that is the case. I th- <laughs> I, I, re- I, re- I remember something came about. It was it, it came down to like myself and Muggsy, right? For nice. the uh, for the uh, for that part, and um, Muggsy was the right choice. He was. <laughs> Muggsy was the right choice. I mean, honestly, I was like, a Bugs Bunny. Okay, this is like a Bugs Bunny movie. Okay. And then, like, a couple of times I went on the set and you saw all these people with, like, just green on. So I was like, how is this going to work? Like, what is this? Like, I, di- I didn't get it. You know, so clearly it was one of my, uh, 
wasn't one of it wasn't one of my more memorable moments <laughs> of not trying to yeah. say, "Hey, Michael, I need to be in this film." But it was like, oh, okay, yeah, the film in a movie, a Bugs Bunny movie, okay. <laughs> and uh, but it turned out great. I mean, to this day. It's like one of those moments that everyone loves the movie. It's yeah. one of those things that turned out fabulous, but I had no idea. So clearly Hollywood was not in my future. I, I didn't <laughs> have the vision. Tate, I, I, I could see some, some things, but Hollywood, I couldn't see. So Muggsy got the part. Muggsy was great. And he was, he was the right choice. I yeah. mean, to be honest, he was the right choice for it. I was going to say, I think you saw the vision to let Muggsy have that part, and then you were just there scouting for MJ, and then you got to live in L.A. after the fact. You're like, I was like, but shout out to Muggsy and Charlotte, but like, you're in uh, L.A. It's all good. Muggsy is uh, Muggsy's the best. You He's know, the Muggsy, best. Muggsy is like, you know, I... I you know, some people when you, when you see him, you just I just love seeing Muggsy because he's always <laughs> dapper. He's always dapper yes. every time you see him. He's a Wake Forest and, grad. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's Wake a Wake Forest. He's always dapper, <laughs> and uh, man, what a competitor! I mean, he was he 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 made a lot of people. You know, it's like when you would rebound the ball, you had to like look down, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, Muggsy, that's a, he'd always steal the inbounds like that. He's like pop <laughs> yeah, up. No, he was so, but no, he was without question. He was the right for that part. He had a great career and a fierce little competitor. I yeah. Mean, well, he wasn't. I mean, he was, he was little, but he he was big. I mean, he really, really was a. Uh, he had some good. He had some great years up there in Charlotte. Yeah. When they were making the playoffs, and uh, he was like a one man press. <laughs> he didn't. That was one guy that I think every guard in the league respected. Like when you would look for the guy, he would. He was so low, you know, you couldn't do your thing against him so he was a um, he was a fierce competitor for sure yeah Muggsy is hard over height always uh, my first NBA oh. game was going to see Muggsy Bogues and uh, I remember my four-year-old self yelling Muggsy Bones and uh, he came and signed a shirt for me so my mom that's my mom's favorite memory she loves Muggsy Bogues forever so oh, she's okay. uh, yeah that's a that's a sweet moment in Hornets history there for you uh, I have to mention BJ you popped up on the dock and then you said you were asked uh, about Michael Jordan being a nice guy you said uh, rhetorically was he a nice guy uh, he couldn't be a nice guy with that mentality. And uh, we've been talking about that mentality, but that was the intro into the B.J. Armstrong experience with Michael Jordan. And that leads us to Charlotte in 1998. Uh, the right. Bulls uh, faced the Hornets. You got a, a great Bulls team, or a, a fun Bulls team. I remember being a Bulls right. fan watching that team. Glenn Rice was an all-star that year, played in MSG with Jordan. You were obviously on that team with Del Curry. It's a great little backcourt. And uh, we, we see in game two that you knew what the Bulls were up to. You know that Michael Jordan likes to attack on defense. And B.J. Armstrong, uh, you hit the game-winning shot against the Bulls, and then you had something <laughs> to say to the pitch. And Michael Jordan heard you, and uh, we got the full story in the documentary. Uh, what Can we get on the record, what did you say? Do you remember what you said? Do you care what you uh, said? But Because Michael obviously remembers. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, take you know, um, what I do remember <laughs> about that, what I do remember about that is like any team, right? Yep. When you come into the playoffs, uh, was the first thing was to establish why we were there. Mm -hmm. We were there to fight, right? Before you can win the game, you got to first establish that you know why you're there. So um, we weren't a team that was just happy to make the playoffs. We we had a good team. We had a we had some. Very talented players. Dave Cowens is coaching. Yeah, at the Dave Cowens yep. uh, is the coach. We had Vladdy Divac, the late Anthony Mason, uh, Bobby Fields, Bobby Fields. Yep. You know, 
Dale Curry. You know, we had, we had a great team. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we had a really, really great team. Now, were we as well-oiled or as drilled as the Bulls? No, but we had we had some players, mm-hmm. right? We could do some things out there on the court. They had all-stars. So, yeah. yeah, we had all-stars. And, um, and the one thing that, that you know, you, when you play the first two games is you want to establish that you're there to fight. Mm-hmm. That's what you do. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I learned that from when I was in Chicago, that you establish that you're there to fight. Okay, you, there's a way to win and there's a way to lose. If we were going to lose, if you let them know you're there to fight, then that's like, that's like the respect of the game. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, first game, they kind of cruise and win. And then the second game in game two, that which we're referring to here is... You know, it was an opportunity, and the opportunity was okay. We're I'm gonna, I, we were gonna establish that we why we were there. That mm-hmm. was like, okay, if we're gonna get their attention and they're gonna get our attention, you know, game one, okay, that could have gone either way. Game two, everyone kind of makes their adjustments, and then now that kind of establishes how this series can go. Yeah, and. That's all I was trying to do. That's all we were trying to do. <laughs> and um, and when you play against a Michael Jordan team, you know what? You you got to attack it. It's it's just it's very simple. And and we went after it. I hit some shots. Dale Curry. Dale Curry was fabulous. I mean, yeah. that was Dale Curry was he was fabulous. We had a great matchup with Glenn Rice and Scottie Pippen. Anthony Mason and, and 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 Robin was a good matchup for us, and uh, and Vladi Divac was a good matchup mm-hmm. for us against Tony Kukoc or Luke Longley. So um, we were able to win that game, and, and here we are, and we went on game three, and and uh, I guess the Bulls uh, made a few adjustments in that game. <laughs> <laughs> and, we, and we see Michael Jordan, and uh, he gives the quote, you know, this is in, in modern time. He said. You know, I'm supposed to kill this guy. I'm supposed to dominate this guy. And in this case, this guy is B.J. Armstrong. And uh, and that's why, you know, when Michael Jordan says, I have a competitive problem, you kind of see that uh, in those statements. And, again, we, we see Jordan back in those times. Right, uh, right. In 1998, he's smoking a cigar. He's asked, yeah. he's asked, he's asked about uh, the fact that you guys won game two. If he's upset about it, he's obviously not upset. Um, yeah, you know, he's obviously not. He's obviously not upset. Um, And and so that's kind of where we get, you know, when Glenn Rice is asked, he said, you know, we knew it was going to be a dog fight at that point. If if, if the big dog saying it's going to be a dog fight, it's going to be a dog fight. Um, You know, MJ, he ends that statement, you know, when you're ahead, it's easy to talk, which is, you know, he's just hyping himself up. And there we go, and uh, and that's the uh, that's the Hornets experience. Uh, you guys win that game. The Bulls come back. They they move on. Uh, we see the final shot uh, going into episode right. nine uh, and episode ten. We get the Pacers in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, but that was a that was a great time uh, to be a Hornets <laughs> fan. I remember that, uh, and it was a great game. Uh, I that was that was a that was a time, and I'm, I'm glad Michael Jordan. Um, it, it's good to see it still gets to him. <laughs> it's just. You know, it's, a, it's just life is so funny, and you know, I can't, I can't stop laughing tonight. I mean, I, I, I got to say why I'm laughing so hard, you know. So at the beginning of the thing with our podcast, I get a text, and it's from MJ, and I just, and I just can't stop laughing, and um, 
you know, I just, it, it's, you know, something's just making me laugh. I'm sorry. I can't. It's just, you know, it's just like, it's just so, you know, like, you know, you'll be like, that's just Tate. Or that's just, you know, this guy. That's just you Mike. Know, that's just that's Mike. just Mike. It's just him, right? And so, but you know what? That, that was, it's really funny. I mean, it was so funny to me. Because that's all you want to do. You want to grab people's attention, let them know that, that you, why you're there. You're not there to hang out and you're not there to like, okay, hey, beat us in four or whatever. Yep. No, we're there to play, right? We're professionals. And uh, it was great to see. It was it was one of the – it just makes me laugh. <laughs> it just makes me laugh. That's all I can say. <laughs> and that's all we want in this program. We want to make people laugh. And uh, right. Michael Jordan, obviously, yeah, he had a great time trying to make people laugh by talking shit to people. And, and uh, right. he is not only one of the greatest basketball players, if not the greatest <laughs> basketball player of all time, he might be the greatest shit talker of all time. And uh, he obviously – Loves backing it up. He loves uh, he loves bringing things up, and uh, he loves like George Carl. Right? We see George Carl, and poor George right. Carl uh, went to North Carolina just like Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan expects the Dean Smith Carolina family yeah, 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 conversation. Yeah, yeah. George Carl does not give him that. Michael Jordan takes that as a huge light, and then decides to not only uh, beat the Sonics uh, in fair fashion the first three games at least, uh, but to laugh at Gary Payton um, on an iPad. You know, however many years later. Uh, um, right. So these are these are just Michael um, in a nutshell in the series. He was obviously, you know, having a good time talking about these moments, laughing about these moments. We're laughing about these moments. Uh, before we get out of here, I want to bring up two people that we haven't brought up yet yes. before uh, we leave. And one of them is LeBradford Smith. Right. Um, LeBradford Smith, that name is, uh, you know, in the basketball circles, there's just names that stick around that you always remember, uh, like an Earl the Pearl. Everybody will remember Earl the Pearl or, you know, yep, Clyde yep, yep. Frazier, whatever it may be. Uh, but one of those names is LeBradford Smith because of this uh, whole sequence with Michael Jordan um, and the mythology behind it. And you were there to experience that. And, and what was it like to see LeBradford Smith have to deal with that? And obviously, Roy Williams was there at the game, uh, you know, wearing a nice sweater. We saw that on Sports Center after the fact. But what did you say to MJ about LeBradford Smith? Well, it was nothing to be said, you know. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, no, honestly, I mean, I, re I remember that game. Like, LeBradford Smith, and when I tell you the kid, he played a terrific, game. terrific game. Yeah. He played, he had a great game. He didn't have a good game, he had a great game. And for whatever reason, you know, Michael couldn't like make a he, he couldn't make a shot, right? Mm -hmm. He just like you know I, I don't know. It was just like one of those nights. Uh, I, I if I remember correctly, I think we still won the game. Yeah, I you guys won. Still, yep. I think we still won the game. And I mean, this is why I, this is why I love Michael, <laughs> right? This is why I love him, right? Because it's so him, like. You win, or you whatever you 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 do what you do, and then, and then people just kind of, you know, move on. Whether they're doing it with a false sense of security, or, you know, that's who they really are. The game really mattered to him. Mm -hmm. The game really mattered to him, and Michael has this big personality, right? He comes in the room, you know, he's there. When I tell you it's complete silence on the plane, it's complete silence on the bus, it's complete silence on the, the bus before the, 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 we're going to the game that night. And, and I remember on the plane, he, you know, we always, you know, we're, you know, we're hanging out. He went in the back and he didn't say a word. Mm -hmm. And I went and checked on him. 
You know, because I would always check on him. Just, hey, you, you good? I would check on him. Say, yeah, you know, you know, he was in a beach. I went and when it was serious, I, you know, I was BJ. I was the kid, but when he was serious, it was beach. <laughs> beach. How many points he have? I think he had like thirty-five. He going. I'm gonna have as many points or more points than him in the first half tomorrow. <laughs> I knew what that meant. I didn't need to say cool. I just walked out and I began to get myself prepared for what was going to happen tomorrow. Now, I don't know if you can prepare for something like that, right? Obviously, LeBradford, LeBradford did, you know, he played. He, he had a great game, but that kid never saw this coming. He just never saw it. Mm-hmm. And when I tell you he came out with a fury, I mean, he came, he always had incredible energy, but he came out with another level of energy. Mm-hmm. And it was just, when I say it was ferocious, I mean, he was on his game. <laughs> like, he was on, like, it didn't matter. He, everything was so precise. His mm-hmm. footwork the way he was moving, the bounce in his step. And the, and when I, the reason I'm saying the bounce in the step, because we're playing on a back-to-back. Mm-hmm. He should be I tired, mean, yes. Something. <laughs> he was just on, when I tell you he was on point, like it was just, everything was crisp. Everything was fresh. Everything mm-hmm. was just one dribble, two dribble, bam. Two dribble, dunk. Everything was there. Defensively, the way he addressed the ball, the, you know, he was just so crisp, so... I mean, there was no one could withstand that. No one could withstand what what was about to happen. And thank God the game was only 48 minutes. Mm-hmm. That's all I can say. Mm-hmm. And he was just determined. But the thing that I loved about it was that it, it mattered. Yep. The game mattered. And that's what, that's what I knew. It like... He loved it. He didn't like it. He didn't, and I, and I can't say that enough. It matters to him. And with that, God, that, that, that was like, that's what you, that, that, that's what you, when you find something that you love that much and you put that type of effort into it, like, you can't be denied. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing anyone was going to say, do, Nothing was going to get in his way that night. And he he was able to tap into that level more often than any player I've seen. Like mm-hmm. he was like if this is the genius little realm, he was able to get in there all the time. Mm-hmm. And um I, I I don't know how he figured that out, but he figured it out because uh that was a special night though. And yeah, that's the secret of MJ. And then the final shout out is to the teacher himself, and that's Bill Cartwright. And we saw the uh, yeah. we, they talked about the infamous, you know, Scotty Pippen game where you know Tony Kukoc is they drop the play. Kukoc ends up hitting the right. shot, but Scotty decides to to remove himself from the lineup for that final play. Bill Cartwright goes into the locker room, and you and I have talked about you know the great Bill Cartwright on this program before, but he is the teacher. Uh, Jordan's right. not in the locker room. There is no, you know, bullish voice. There is no hard voice, harsh voice, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Bill Cartwright, you know, steps up in that moment. So we just have to, you know, give a shout out to the teacher. Yeah, Bill, Bill is, um, you know, look, I, I, that was a special group. But Bill was, you know, he, he was, 
he was our voice of reason, if you will. Mm-hmm. Like Bill didn't say much. The conscience of the team. Yeah. He was the conscience of the team, without question. I think that's a great, great choice of words, a great choice of word of how to describe him. He was the conscience of the team. And when he did speak, everyone listened. And, you know, look, whatever happened, happened. I mean, clearly, you know, we all saw what happened. It was no denying it. But the way Bill handled it, and it was heartfelt. It wasn't a, you know, it was us. It needed to be said. It was addressed. And the way Bill handled it as the leader of the group was one of the more impressive things I've seen in my life, right? Mm -hmm. Just because the tension was there. It was like one of those moments that was awkward. You couldn't believe it. Everyone was disappointed. It was one of our brothers. It was, you know, and, but we all understood it. Like we understood, I could understand Scotty's feelings. I could understand his emotions. I could understand it, but we addressed it and we got through that together. And we, and, and, and that was Bill. I mean, Bill, when I say it was heartfelt, like nobody said anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody. And it was one of the most impressive things I've seen in all of sports, in all of my years, to see someone address that situation and the respect that Scotty had for Bill. Like, we all had this respect for Bill. It was like, you know, we would always joke, you know, <laughs> Bill was like our dad, right? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, hey, he was, that's why we called him the teacher. And, um, you know, thank goodness that Bill was there. I don't know if another person could have resolved the issue like that. Um, but Bill was able to get us through. And we took that team to, to game seven, mm-hmm. right? We took the, the Knicks, and the Knicks were a good team that year. And uh, and uh, it was because of our internal leadership. So, you know, shout out to Bill. Um, you know, Bill was – he literally was one of my first mentors when I came into the league. I've, re- I've relied on him – my entire professional career still to this day. And, um, you know, he's still, you know, he li- actually lives out here in California now and uh, up in the San Francisco area. So shout out to Bill. He was fantastic. And uh, I can't tell, I can't, words what happened there because when I tell you, Tate, there was nothing that could have said to, I mean, it, it, you saw it. it that, that's mm-hmm. exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. But somehow, by a miracle, Bill, found the right words to say it when it needed to be said. And uh, I'm just, uh, and I was able to witness that. Bill Cartwright, a great big, and we, we know you love bigs on this program, BJ. So, oh, I so love we, bigs. We, I, we I love the that. bigs. And, uh, and, and Scotty Pippen, the greatest uh, apology uh, ever by dunking over Patrick Ewing <laughs> uh, and then going to Spike Lee, telling him to sit down. And uh, if there's ever been a time where you're worried about a guy being on your side as a teammate, the next game he dunks over the, <laughs> their best player, tells Spike Lee to sit down, and you got, you guys all say, hey, Scotty, welcome back, baby, let's go. Um, yeah, and yeah, so that yeah. was a great moment, too. Yeah, yeah, it was good. You know, the thing is, is I, I, I kind of, you know, the, the funny part about the play is it was Pete Myers is one that makes me laugh. You know, Pete's talking so much trash because Pete <laughs> used to play in New York. You okay, know? yeah. And um, man, that was a that was a fun group, too. And, um, you know, we, we barely win game three. We come back and win game four. Yep. Go up there, lose game five. Come back home, win game six. And then... You know the infamous call, and it was yep. a, was it game seven or yep, it was game it game seven, seven or yep. what? yeah up there. 
So, you know, it, those were good times, but that was a, that was an incredible play. That was one of the, probably one of the best dunks I've ever seen. Right? Yes. I mean, you know, Patrick Ewing, look, is hall of famer, shot blocker, rim protector. And Scotty, you know, Scotty just rose up and, and dunked on him. But it was a, it was a great play. Tell, for sure. The, the 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 madhouse on Madison was rocking that night. I guess you that was a that was a great moment. Yeah, and Patrick Ewing, as he said in the documentary, he said nobody's going to talk about all the points he had and all the blocks he had <laughs> and all the rebounds he had. So we have to point out that Patrick Ewing was, was an amazing <laughs> basketball player doing uh, this stuff too. No, no, Patrick Ewing, no, he was more than amazing. <laughs> yes, right? he had the nickname the Beast. Right? A great big, he, the greatest big great, possibly. He Patrick Ewing yes. was a Patrick Ewing was a. Man, he was a problem. Okay, yes. I mean the guy could shoot. I mean he could do it all. He was, he was athletic, and um, but he did. He 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 did have a great game. I remember that. So uh, Patrick, here on pushing through, we want to recognize you. Yes, for having a great career not yeah. just a great game you had a great career absolutely and there you have it this is after the last dance uh, we just covered episode seven and episode eight we'll be back uh later in the week probably around tuesday we got a special guest bj and i will be talking to again about the last dance stuff and then later in the week we got kevin wolf from mitchell and ness uh you mentioned uh the scotty pippen dunk that was at the front of the mitchell and ness store uh in chicago for the 69th yes. all-star game that was a great shot and uh we'll be back on tuesday this is pushing through see you then you guys, <laughs> I just love BJ started laughing in the middle of that. I was trying to plug Mitchell Ness, and I was just seeing you start cracking I up. I'm sorry, man. It's you all know? good. <laughs> oh man, that was great though. <laughs>